Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, the host of the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. This podcast is a bit of a change in format compared to our normal episodes. It's a little bit extra. The two parts of episode 52 were all about TSR's 1982 game Gangbusters, a cops and robbers role-playing game set in the Roaring Twenties. I haven't got gangsters quite out of my system. This podcast extra is me taking ideas on a side quest following a path deeper into the undergrowth, or rather, the underworld of gangsters in RPGs, specifically the American gangster of the 20th century. Back in October of last year, I watched 10 gangster films in 20 days, with the idea of writing about the gameable ideas on a blog over at thegrognardfiles.com. It was Mobtober. I did it for a couple of films, Nobody was reading them, so I thought I'd synthesise it as a podcast so nobody can listen to them instead. But you're here now, so I'll do it for us two and leave it at that. Don't worry, a podcast in the normal format with interviews and Blythe will be with you very soon. What is it about gangsters, crime and city noir that's so appealing about it for gaming? Why does it seem so difficult to replicate the dramatic pleasures of the fiction in role-playing games? It's not impossible, and there have been various attempts at doing it. I'll be searching the great library of RPGs here on my right to give a potted survey of the games that have had a go at the genre and try and draw out some useful thoughts on what they tell us about gaming with gangsters. There's a risk in doing these monologues that they sound a bit pompous and me making a series of hot takes. I hope you can see through that and realise this is just me taking an idea for a walk in front of a microphone in the hope that it resonates. If the monologue doesn't make your toes curl, then maybe an actual play will do the trick. The second half of the podcast is a recording of the Patreon One-Shot Club playing Gangbusters. It's an introduction of the session that was based on the Vanishing Investigator module. I'll be back at the end to talk about future one-shot clubs, how you can get a full actual play recording, and saying a few thank yous. Until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. The Great Library of RPGs, Part 1. Okay, before we get into this, I know that when it comes to defining genres, there's always something slippy at the edges, and tightly controlled definitions are not always useful. When I talk about the city noir of American gangsters, I know what it is when I see it. But like all fiction genres, it's a pretty broad area that takes in many types, flavours and moods. Maybe it's more useful to look at the elements that I'd expect from a gangster game and the fiction that inspires it. I suppose it's these elements that I find so attractive, thrilling and dramatically interesting. Although some of the earliest examples of the genre in film claim to be ripped from the headlines. Films such as Little Caesar, 1931, Scarface, 1932, and The Roaring Twenties, 1939, 
What they actually did was create a mythology, a fictionalised universe that's been replicated again and again. And arguably, it reached its peak with the nostalgic myth of The Godfather, which was released 50 years ago. I watched it again in the past couple of weeks, and it's still fantastic. For me, the gangster in fiction is an imaginative idea, far removed from the horror of the realities of organised crime. It's a metaphor for the conspicuous consumption, desire and the ascent of power for the individual and how power is managed and maintained. It's about the artificial equivalence between cops and robbers, how good and bad is not always easily determined and how to do good you sometimes need to do bad. And it's about the horrifying corruptive forces that are at play when in pursuit of status and money at the expense of personal humanity. It sounds Shakespearean because it is. Ultimately, it's about success. Success by short-circuiting the system that grinds everyone else down. As a gangster, you don't need to follow the mundane rat race. Instead, you have to dedicate your life to the long confidence trick. The long con is that you need to keep working, keep earning, to buy off enemies, to protect yourself from others who want to stop you in your tracks, and to build up a power base so that your own position is unassailable. And for the cop, it's about the chase, it's about breaking up the con, exposing the villains to justice, whether it's justice overseen by the state, or you as an individual. Also, it's about conspiracy and how power is a tangled web of factions and interests, sometimes competing against each other, sometimes cooperating and always distrustful of each other's motives. There's an appeal about how influence can be used to get things done simply in a complicated world. The syndicate and the criminal conspiracy is what makes a gangster game a gangster game. There's also something about nostalgia for family, for the ties that bind and how honour and duty are central to this thing of ours being maintained. Otherwise, it'd be a constant shooting match. So, those are the elements for me in an American gangster urban crime genre that I find interesting. Whether you're a gangster or a cop, it's the pursuit of power, the status, the long con, the hunt, the chase, the networks, and that sense of duty. If you want to play a gangster, all of these are pretty challenging to emulate in an RPG to provide a satisfactory experience. For one thing, as a player, you're working with a group, and not everyone can be in pursuit of the top job. Otherwise, you've got Paranoia RPG, or even worse, the Apprentice RPG, and nobody wants that. On the other side of the coin, as a cop, it can sometimes feel like the bad guys are having all the fun. RPGs seem to support the procedural investigation side of police work rather than the action, and those moral choices and personal compromises that have to be made along the way. I'll remind you again that I appeared on The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, talking about gangsters in Call of Cthulhu, and gangsters as a form of cultish organisation. Does it not strike you as odd that one of the most dominant organised crime syndicates in the popular imagination, the Italian-American Mafia, 
originated in one of the most volcanic areas on Earth. What cosmic and ancient forces are at work there? I'll put a link in the show notes. In the Gangbusters episodes, I mentioned that the game works by making the roles of cops and robbers very clear. It bypasses the trope of the individual in pursuit of power for an us-and-them approach. The conflict between the police and the bad guys is at its core, with room for different competing factions to come into play too. Although it's wargame-like in its core rules, it wears its cliches on its sleeve, so it's possible and likely that the players are going to play to type rather than use tactical choices. Clichés and archetypes are what RPGs thrive on, as Ken and Robin often say in their podcast. Clichés are rubbish in other fiction, however, in RPGs they're great because you're experiencing them, not observing them. It might not be rubbish, it might be garbage that they say, but you get the idea. Predating Gangbusters by a couple of years is Gangster! Exclamation mark by Fantasy Games Unlimited. It's still available on their website, fantasygamesunlimited.net. It's notable for three reasons. Firstly, there's a photograph of Nick Marinacci on the cover in full 20s gear. He's one of the authors alongside Peter Patrone. And secondly, it declares itself a game of crime and punishment for players 12 to adult but it uses a photograph of the Valentine's Day Massacre to illustrate page 22, with the victims on the floor bleeding out. It was different in the 70s. Fun for all the family. Health and safety gone mad, etc, etc. And thirdly, our very own Citadel Miniatures made a set of figures for the game, including Legs Diamond with his pinstripes clearly visible and Al Capone's chair. Yes, A lead chair, a chair made out of lead. The game is a curiosity, rather than one that I'd be keen to revive. All in all, the mechanics are pretty underdeveloped. It's a D20 roll under an attribute game. The target number can be adjusted by skills and situational modifiers. There are classes and professions, but you need to make sure that your int and dex is high, or you'll not get into them. For a UK reader where this game excels, is in Book 2, A Patrol Guide and the Laws of the Land, as it gives a concise yet detailed overview of the police procedure based on the author's experience in law enforcement. It makes clear that physical evidence is the primary source of convictions, and it's striking, once that's pointed out, how many of the departments in the police are actually dedicated to finding physical evidence. There's also some useful tips in the detail, such as the first job in any hostage situation is make sure that there is actually a hostage. It's good stuff. Next off the shelf is 1988, a box set designed by Aaron Olson, Task Force Games Crime Fighter. Pookie from Reviews from Relier suggested this for the accumulation on the Great Library of RPGs. It's a game that doubles as a source book for crime-based RPGs, taking its influence from long-form television programmes such as Chips, TJ Hooker, Miami Vice and Starskin Hutch, and most significantly Hill Street Blues, as it suggests, 
as precinct style scenarios and it shows you how to develop characters that you might find in those situations. It's a simple system that uses 3d6 with a target of 11 to resolve most tasks with adjustments for skills. It spends some time giving the GM advice on how to develop campaigns with different tones and frameworks. For example, the TV melodrama is compared with the realistic crime drama. Despite this emphasis on tropes and stories, it is grounded in the traditional rules and cares a lot about positioning and other eye-watering details. There's even a paragraph on fighting small animals presumably for that time when the hamster resists arrest. I like the hotspur and the conversational tone that the rules adopt, but they point out that there's not enough time and space in the rules to cover organised crime. Therefore, it has disqualified itself from consideration. That's my judgement. So that's the 70s and 80s end of the shelves. Let's move along to the 90s and beyond. I'll grab a brew and I'll be back after this break. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. The Great Library of RPGs, Part 2. The 90s were a boom time for gangster movies. Maybe it was a commentary of the rise of consumer capitalism. Maybe it was graduating filmmakers wearing their new Hollywood influences on their sleeves. There were new audiences for super slick smart crime movies. Also, at the end of the decade came The Sopranos, which is probably at the heart of my desire to try and find a way of making a long-term gangster game work with all the beats, twists and turns and the relationships that I enjoy about that series. Fiasco by Jason Morningstar was published in 2009. It's a story game, almost like a parlour game, which is similar to Robin Law's Skullduggery, the game that spun out of the Dying Earth RPG, in that it emulates the twists and turns of Coen Brothers movies. It has a reach beyond the normal RPG market as it's accessible once you've grokked the handful of tools it uses to create a collaborative story-making experience. Taking its inspiration from Blood Simple, Fargo and a Simple Plan, the dice are used to create narrative tilts and the gradual descent into disaster. It's quite fun if you can find a small number of creative friends who might be put off by the technicalities of a more involved RPG system. There are playbooks available on the publisher's website, including one from Graham Walmsley, based on the mean streets of the Roaring Twenties. When I ran Gangbusters face-to-face at Grogmeat, I used elements of Fiasco to establish relationships between the characters. You have to roll on a big pool of D6s, and players move around to pick from tables that describe relationships with each other and their needs and desires. It's a really good way of being transparent about the personal agendas, petty squabbles, dependencies and individual drives. 
at a convention is good too because as a games master you know that everyone is aware of how to play their character as everybody has created it together. There's none of those moments where you're waiting for a player to reveal an important bit of information that you've carefully written on the character sheet. It's all out there on the table and it creates a safer space for developing the paranoia of opposing agendas between the characters too. If you want to know more about Fiasco, it's one of Will Wheaton's favourites, so there's a few demos by him out there. But I'd also recommend a recent Third Floor Wars interview with Jason Morningstar. I'd recommend the interviews on the Third Floor Wars as they're great. Craig, the presenter, has been in an RPG deep freeze himself, and he takes a similar approach to the Grog Pod, but from a US angle. And he's probably more of a keen concern about game design. Fiasco is worth a look if you haven't tried it. As I've said earlier, one of the elements of gangster and crime dramas that I like is the idea of moral choices and the trade-offs required to maintain power. Hill Folk by Robin Laws in 2013, a game of Iron Age drama. Yes, you're hearing me right, a game of Iron Age drama. But it uses the drama system. The mechanics separate the procedural bits of the game, such as fighting, climbing, jumping, all those granular actions, from the dramatic actions, so those internal conflicts, the emotional exchanges between characters, that stuff of drama. Tokens are used to pass backwards and forwards to represent the exchange of fortunes. Sometimes there are favourable results, concessions made, other times you may find yourself in debt. It allows for the interchange of the ups and downbeats that law suggests are at the heart of fiction. I've used a version of this in Aftermath, of all things, to allow characters to take charge of a scene. While all the arithmetic of Aftermath, and there's a lot of arithmetic, deals with everything else, all the procedural stuff, I used elements of Hillfolk so that people could take control of scenes. In its purest form, the drama system feels like it's inhibiting rather than liberating the players as it restrains them by concentrating on what they can't do rather than what they can. That's my experience anyway, but I'd like to explore it further. The reason I mention it here is that the rulebook contains a pitch or a setting entitled Mafia Century by Rob Wyland. I like the scope of this as it it's the only example that I've found that has a dynastic scale. The pitch encourages play across generations and it provides a useful timeline of gang activity in America. Characters may come and go, but the crime syndicate continues and it suggests that you work through the 20th century, decade by decade, from the 1920s, focusing on a specific story arc rather than trying to do the full span. There's lots of little hooks too to spark ideas. As part of the Mobtober Film Festival last year that I mentioned, I watched the 1996 made-for-TV movie Gotti. And it's good to see that the dapper Don is mentioned here because he is full of gaming potential. I'll put a link to my piece about it in the show notes. There's much to admire in theory, 
in the drama system, but I'd like to see it work better in practice. As we move along the shelf to the teens, powered by the Apocalypse games, become more prominent. Spirit of 77, 2015, by David Kizia and Bob Richardson, is not explicitly a gangster-themed game, but it does take its inspiration from the 1970s films that form the bedrock of the modern myth of the gangster. The American gangster came into its own in the 1970s with New Hollywood and late-night cinema that was booming at the time, creating lots of classic movies such as Serpico, Death Wish, Superfly, Switchblade Sisters, to name a few, schlock horror and two smoking barrels of exploitation. This is at the core of The Spirit of 77. It's not concerned with creating any sense of reality. This is 70s exploitation movies dialed up to 11, maybe touching on 12. Let me give you some examples from the playbook archetypes so you can get an idea of what I mean. So characters have uh, been powered by Apocalypse Games have features that are ramped up versions of those that you might find in something like D&D 5e. However, these are described as moves and they work differently in PBTA games as the player is taking the thrust of the game session into a different direction by using these moves. It makes it more interesting yet it is challenging and demanding for all the players around the table. So let's look at the rocker archetype playbook. And so you can use the God of Thunder move that can create a monster riff so disorientating that it can leave multiple listeners in a dazed and deafened state. Or this one for the tough guy who can choose to take on one at a time or all at once and act like a one-man gang. Or boppers. They can make a plan on a napkin move that will give them increased opportunity to take advantage of situations. It's good stuff. Another PBTA game that deals firmly with the firm is Cartel by Mark Diaz Truman from 2015. This is presented in a beautifully designed book that I've been leafing through regularly since I got it last year. It's a terrific read too. It's a sensitively written game based in contemporary Mexico with strong elements of the country's history and how illegal drugs have shaped the politics, economics, relationships and the way of life of people in the region. It has its home in popular narcos fiction like Breaking Bad and Narcos TV series. The authenticity and the sensitivity and the drive to shoot someone to escalate the fiction at the table makes me feel a bit uncomfortable about which direction it might take at the table, especially with players who may not appreciate the sensitivities. Also, I think that the moves that the playbook suggests are very precise and sometimes leave me scratching my head trying to work out their applicability. As a player, how would I deploy the move to get the most out of a situation. I'll give you an example. So as a cop, there is an infiltrado move. 
At the start of the session, you can roll with grit, one of the attributes, to determine if you've got some intelligence about the anti-cartel case before things get messy. The better you roll, the more opportunity you have to act before the department can intervene. Of course, most of the paletta in this setting are on the take and corrupt, so there's a good chance to play off factions with such information. However, there are other players at the table too, who all have the capacity to make their moves in the game and shape events and different lines of development. I'm not sure I'm confident enough with the material to support the incredible range of possibilities. I love Power of the Dog by Don Winslow, not to be confused with the recent Jane Campion film, a great novel about how cartels in Central America interact with the USA and how it's woven into every aspect of society and politics. And I've seen the Narcos Mexico TV series, you know, the one with um, Dora the Explorer's dad as a cop trying to steer an honest course through a corrupt system. Maybe if it was an area I knew more about, such as the Camorra gangs in Naples, for example. Uh, I love Gamora uh, TV series, and I know more about Naples than I do about Mexico. Cartel does seem like it holds a key to a great gaming experience if I could unlock it and build up more confidence in PBTA. Grog Squad member and fellow student of the gangster genre, Finn Cullen, has done a hack of Cartel using The Sopranos as a guide. In his Wise Guys, a game that he's put together for his own table, the playbooks have more recognisable consequences. So the Dirty Cop in this version has an insider move, which is exactly the same as Infiltrado move in Cartel. But somehow I'd feel easier working in developing scenes where the intelligence can be traded with the cops' contacts within the mafia and uh, the different consequences if the department makes a move first. It's odd, isn't it? I think it really shows how dependent I am as an RPG player on the tropes of the films and TV that I like and know well. In the interview with Mark for the Gangbusters episode, what was appealing about his pitch for games was that it was player-led. There was a sense that when he played Gangbusters, it was a living world where things were happening around the town, whether the players were interacting with them or not. The moves approach of PTBA support that form of play, as it allows the players to discover the world. And by using the moves, the outcomes are not predetermined. The world can be shaped by the consequences of their actions. However, I need a little bit more help to help me manage that at the table. After the break, we'll look at the final couple of games and see how they support that type of play. My brew's gone cold. I'll be right back. I'm Steve, host of All Anthrex's Gaming Vexes, a podcast documenting my ongoing mission to run or at least play all of the RPGs that I seem to be incapable of stopping myself buying. And you'll see me uh, frequently uh, fiddling with something in my hands. Each episode, I get together with a group of fellow gamers that have either played a game I've run or who've GM'd a game for me. We chat through what we've enjoyed about the game and some ways we could have improved the experience whilst making a series of terrible jokes along the way. Was it hot chat action? Sometimes we con game designers who really should know better to come along and talk to us about their games and maybe run an actual play segment to give us an idea of their vision for their game. 
Nah, I've told this story before, I won't bore anyone. Our topics range from old school favourites like RuneQuest through to some of those newfangled narrative games all the cool kids talk about. When you listen, I want you to feel as though you're sitting around our gaming table, taking part in our post-game chat and helping dispose of the last of the crisps and ale. I'll just wax my bowstring and think about the death of the tainted. Oh no, eight, nine, eight. So, if you like listening to people droning on excitedly about games in a range of regional British accents, All Anthrex's Game of X's is the pod for you, and you'll find it on your podcasting app of choice. On occasion, you may even hear something really insightful, but I'm making no promises. Over to you, Dave. Point to Bonkses and make it a Titan. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it tight. The Great Library of RPGs, Part 3. Perhaps in my grand design of Shakespearean elements of the gangster genre, I've lost sight of what's important to the players. What they'll actually be doing session by session. As gangsters, it's about doing the scores, the heists, the schemes that are going to get the increased status that they desire. For the cop, it's settling the scores and making sure that you come out on top one way or another. Next up in my survey of the great library of RPGs, Gangsters, is Blades in the Dark. It doesn't strictly fall within my criteria, as it's firmly set in the fantasy city of Duskval, which is a Peaky Blinders meets the lies of Loch Lemuria, city sealed into dusk with strange ghosts and vampiric hosts, as well as crime shenanigans. However, I can't miss it out because you'll be shouting at your pod box if I didn't give it a mention. And it is the most closely realised version of the gangster RPG that I've been craving for, due to its clever, innovative design elements. It does much more than PBTA games to support the Find the Adventure Together approach that they advocate. There's a lot going on, quite a few cogs turning in the game to make it work. In the tradition of the grog pod, I'm going to pick out three. So, crew sheets, the structure and progress clocks. The crew sheets are great. So, play character group becomes more of a character in its own right, with a lair, a den, secret base, which can have additional improvements as they advance. You can build up networks of contacts and supporters too. It works brilliantly. I've found that it's the primary motivator for players who are new to the game. It helps them understand what their motivations are in the world and think like criminals that are embedded in the city, expanding their turf and influence. It also gives them a sense of how they fit in the world. It also sets out the basis for factional play, so you can have other crews and gangs working for and against you. And also that den-building element, it's a primal instinct, isn't it? That abandoned bell tower of the ruined temple, the one with the cloud of ravens. Perfect. The other great thing about the rules is the structure that it encourages. There's a pattern of play that really supports gangster campaigns. So... There's a period of free play as the characters interact with their contacts and determine their next course of action. And there follows a dice roll that 
decides what the current level of control is. So what are the rules of engagement? Are they under stress because of the current heat on the operation? Or are they in control like George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven? When it comes to the actual score, the heist, the hit, the players are encouraged to think on their feet and work from the front foot rather than pondering on their options. They have the chance to flash back, to talk through their preparedness for the new venture. It works really well, as during the heist, there's always an appropriate level of jeopardy, thanks to the levels of stress generated. Characters have a chance to relieve that stress during downtime, indulging in vices. So this cycle works really well to structure the adventures and support situations being created on the fly. Progress clocks are another component of the game that can provide jeopardy and tension for the players if used well. These clocks are circles cut into segments, a bit like the pie in Trivial Pursuits, and each segment represents an action level that's been completed towards a goal. Once a clock has been completed, the result comes into effect. They can have four, six or eight segments, depending on the complexity of the situation, and They're a great idea that can be ported into any other game. So if you've got a long-term project, such as creating a new weapon or device, use a clock. Or if you want to represent an impending danger, being discovered, being found out by the opposing gang, use a clock. You can use clocks too for time-critical missions or to show chases because you can actually empty segments by pushing back as well as completing them. And as long as they're not overused, they're a really good way of attracting events and creating escalating tensions that are affecting the gang. Again, in the tradition of the Grog Pod, if I had to pick something that was a bit of a fumble, it would probably be the propensity for consequences to build up and eventually become a complicated array of different threads that need to be resolved, uh, such as you managed to sneak into a building, so you've you've succeeded, but the blue coat guard has made a note in his ledger that the door has been disturbed since his last patrol, and that might create a clock to indicate an investigation by the blue coats trying to link the door to your crew. And along with other things like devil's bargains and other consequence generating actions, these can start to stack up and become a bit unmanageable. That said, Blades in the Dark works best as an extended one shot so you can keep some control of those consequences and allow one or two to fall by the wayside. One of the most memorable sessions I've had over the past five years of playing any game is a 12-hour charity Blades in the Dark game. There were only two players, and it took a bit to get things moving, but once that structure kicked in, the session gathered momentum. A simple premise can generate loads of ideas for the players, and the starting point can lead to multiple directions. I used an idea from The Sopranos that was so good, they used it at least twice. So gangsters end up in jail, sometimes for a long time. When they come out and they haven't been a rat, they haven't informed, they haven't been a witness, 
there's an indebtedness to them because they've been so loyal. But they can also disrupt the status quo with their demands and opening up old rivalries and settling old scores. If you've seen The Sopranos, think of the wonderful Richie April in season two or later Steve Buscemi's character, Tony Blondetto. In my 12-hour game, the player characters were asked to chaperone a character who's been released from jail, as there were a number of factions who'd want him dead. During the course of them protecting him, he wants to have a piece of the action and a share of the spoils of his old gang. And from that simple idea, we managed to spin out a 12-hour-long series of adventures. It really felt like we were creating something together on the fly, and the mechanics supported it. So the last game off the shelf is a new one. Well, new to me. Wise Guy by Eric Lamaru, 2019, is a Savage World licensed product. I was recommended it by Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. Now, you'll know that I'm predisposed towards Savage Worlds, but this does an excellent job. It isn't just bolting the Savage Worlds rules onto the idea of gangsters. This is a game that's been built from the ground up to create something unique. It takes its influences from 90s gangster movies specifically, and like most Savage Worlds implementations, it's action first. It develops Las Vegas as a basis of the setting, the Las Vegas of Scorsese's Casino. I really like how it's possible to do a pre-heist montage going through how skills have been applied to prepare so that the team can build up Benny's prior to making a score. And the new edges and hindrances help to generate the internal conflicts and external forces that are imposing themselves on the gangster. There's also a subsystem, friends of ours, for maintaining contacts. The advice it gives on running gangster games is top-notch and it provides a mob tale generator that's great fun and create loads of ideas very easily. I'm going to be bringing this to the table very soon. Watch this space. So, that's it. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, although it's probably been exhausting listening to it. And I know there'll be lots of indie games and supplements to more generic systems that I've missed. If there are any that deserve my attention, please let me know. Even after this tour of my shells, I'm still not convinced that my itch has been scratched. Perhaps Blythe's right. The kind of gangster drama that I'm seeking is not suitable for gaming. Maybe it'll never exist. Maybe. But I won't stop looking. The Vanishing Investigator! January 1927, Lakefront City. For too long, the city has suffered in the hands of crime and corruption, by fraud and forgery, by bootlegging and bribery. The syndicate has now tightened its iron grip on the lives of decent citizens. But now, the Senate subcommittee is in town, and a showdown is in the works. So this is it. This is the actual play sample. Thanks to Chris, Pookie, Fabio, David and Blythe from the One Shot Club back in January of this year. It's based on the campaign module GB4, which was written by Mark Akers and released by TSR in 1983. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) 
Okay, so um, the large map in front of you is the district map of Lakefront City, the mean streets in which you guys operate as law enforcement agents of various departments and uh, status. Stefano Lucinetti, ruler of uh, a syndicate that's had a, an iron grip on Lakefront City over the past year. And there's been a breakout of uh, gang war and you've all been kind of involved in uh, tracking some of this activity, mainly bootlegging, bringing down uh, liquor from Canada and uh, distributing it throughout uh, Lakefront City. He's a villain and a ruthless villain at that. Okay, so you're um, all called together uh, in the office of SAC. Jack North. Right, sit down, guys, and listen to this. Encourage you all to sit down. He's got a, a board behind him. And on this board, there's various uh, images of people that you know. You recognize some of those scarf faces and various nefarious people from around uh, Lakefront City. There's strings drawn, photographs of ships appearing at the dockside, various manifests pinned up to the board and says, uh, we've got a big opportunity, and we're going to take it, but we're going to need your help. Tomorrow, finally, we've got a politician who isn't in the heart of Stefano. We have a politician who wants to do the right thing. And Lucinetti, he's going to see himself behind bars for a long, long time. Got to help him tomorrow. There's a hearing, subcommittee of organised crime. Andrew Barrington, the uh, senator, and leader of the subcommittee has got a surprise witness. He's only gone and uh, flipped one of them, Nick Zabata. You know him. He operated the uh, operation down Dockside. Well, apparently he's had a big falling out with Lucinetti, and now he's flipped. He's gone all stooly on us. We're going to take him to the subcommittee, and he's going to testify to the criminal activity a Stefano Lucinetti. Only thing is, guys, we've got to get him into that courthouse safely. He uh, goes over to the corner and he shows you uh, this uh, map of the city. He explains that the the uh, subcommittee is meeting in the um, Bloomfield County Courthouse. Can you see me pinging it on the uh, map on your screen? Have you got that? Currently, um, Zabotti is currently being held in the cells in the uh, police department here. So at 10 o'clock sharp, we're going to get him into uh, the county uh, courthouse uh, so that the uh, senator can hear his testimony. I don't think you guys have all worked together before, so it might be a good idea just to know each other and, uh, and get an idea of uh, how this is going to work and some of the uh, safeguards that you're going to put in place for our witness. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's start with you, uh, Frank. Frank Hickman. Little Frankie Hickman, as he's known. <laughs> he's, he's, a he's a straight-laced cop. He's a straight-laced, God-fearing cop. Um, probably a little bit annoying. Um, but, he, uh, yeah, he's seen the kind of devastation that's been inflicted by uh, 
these syndicates or various neighbourhoods. So he's probably like a local fella, isn't he? He's a little bit moral, a bit too moral for his own good, probably. He, don't, he definitely would not fight dirty, put it that way. So no uh, rabbit punches uh, from you then? No, none of that. I'm uh, playing Fred Ross, Special Agent FBI. Got a keen attention to details, but uh, I want to make sure that we get the right outcome at all uh, occasions. I don't have time for rules followers um, as long as we get the right results. Yeah, that's that's pretty much me. You can like me or hate me, but that's how I am. Hi, I'm Sal Rizzo, uh, five foot eight, black hair, brown eyes, Italian. I was at 28 years of age, and I'm a local uh, detective. Uh, I've been doing all the hard work here. Now the feds are in town taking all the glory, so I'm not exactly too happy about uh, too many feds around here. Uh, back in the neighborhood, I had some old friends. You know, they took the wrong path, but hey, I took the right path. Uh, but you know what? I'm still connected, especially over a dish of... Uh, Spaghetti with some clams. And I think I might have had a plate of spaghetti with some uh, clams with Nick maybe a few years back. And a nice glass of vino. But that's me, Sal. Some of those uh, connections might come in handy uh, to understand what might be going down. Nice to meet you, Sal. Good to have you on the team. Sure. Okay, look after this guy, everyone. Hi, uh, I'm Joseph Carmoody. Uh, I'm a local beat cop. I'm either on, on foot or uh, I'm driving one of the uh, patrol cars. The feds are in town and I want some of the action. It's the nature of the business. It's the nature of the business. You small town guys, thanks for all the work you've done. But now the big boys are in town, I'm afraid. We're, we're grateful to have you here. <laughs> Joseph, he's uh, five, five foot ten, uh, green eyes uh, and ginger hair. He couldn't look more Irish if he tried. You mean have a shillelagh under your arm? Is that? Yeah, that's my yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jack Baum. Pulls himself up to his full five foot eight, five foot eleven, I should say. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> runs his hand through his blonde hair. My family's been here in this city three generations, and I'm a local prohibition agent. And I just want to see these people put behind bars for what they've done to my city. I just want it to stop. And I was wondering what had happened to Nick. He'd been, I've been following him around for a while and he just disappeared. So, yeah, now I know. We've flipped him. He's on our side. Um, what we'll do is um, for this first stage, you can do a little bit of recce, a little bit of planning. What resources do you need? And then once you're ready, what we'll do is we'll move into uh, real time, enact what's going to happen tomorrow at uh, 10 um, and see how that plays out. Okay, so I'll give you a bit of time just to uh, work together. Plan where you're going to get some intelligence, what preparations you're going to be in place, and you might want to just uh, make sure you've got the equipment, firepower, an idea of uh, how you're going to go about this. All that you've got to make sure is that he gets safely delivered to the courthouse for 10 in the morning tomorrow morning. Dead simple. Oh, sorry, I just, oh, I just, I just saw here that it, I think um, Fred's a, um, apparently a member of the Borg. It says on his sheet that he's assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure what that's about. I, I see where we where the delivery, but where's he coming from? He's coming from the uh, 13th Precinct Station, which is in the corner of the map. Oh, oh I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how much, how much press has this um, 
is this case got so far? I mean, how, how likely are people, how much are people likely to know about it and about the goings on and who's going to testify, etc.? Well, that, that that is a good point because uh, they've managed to keep it uh, off the headlines of the Lakefront City Tribune, but there are reporters sniffing around. They know that there's this big uh, Senate uh, committee hearing uh, that's taking place in the uh, county courthouse. However, they don't know about this surprise witness. Although politicians being politicians, they can't help but get some of the word out. And so there is a little bit of buzz around town that uh, something spectacular is going to happen. Is there a kind of bridge um, from the Bloomfield County Courthouse and Jail to the actual county courthouse? Is there kind of like a bridge or is it a yeah. tunnel? a bridge that goes uh, between uh, the two places. So that is a potential um, route in to uh, the court house so that's uh, the neighboring one so but he's being held in this uh, building here yeah. and i presume the front the front is the one on the very left hand side with the three doors yeah or is that that's yeah. the entrance yeah there's an entrance uh, there's entrances here and yeah. entrances at the um alternate side and there's some back entrances as well there's one at, there's also one at the top as well is that a back door to the um police department onto that opening onto the alley it is yeah right and presumably it might it we've got doors here in these other buildings as well so we've got alternate routes available it's only in the next block couldn't have made it easier for you <laughs> so, sorry chris i'm just wondering about gathering some sort of intelligence is um can we get a wiretap on uh vincent solano's phone do we, what kind of grounds do we need for that in the twenties? What do the what do, what do the rules say about that? Ah, rules, schmools. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the one on wiretap. Do I need to go to a it. judge? Because I I know from my local work from Jack, Jack Baum's local work in the area that the whole operation since Nick Zabata's gone missing is being run by this uh, Vincent Solano. So could we get a tap on his line and see if? Uh, He's he's sending out orders to anyone if he's got any sense of what's going on or if Zapata's been flipped. That's that sounds like a, a perfect little scene for us to uh, play out. Okay, so uh, who's 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 going to uh, get in? That's going to be done by the uh, dock side, and uh, that's where uh, the base of operations. That's where you've been keeping uh, surveillance uh, around there, and they have um, some properties as well as warehouses. Uh, around there, and you know that they uh, base the operation uh, in there next next to some uh, heavy machinery that's going there day in day out because you know they they don't want to, uh, it, it, as a precaution of uh, tapping. But you know if you can get something right into the uh, the offices, you might have an opportunity. <laughs> I, 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 you I, put me on the spot um I, I didn't want to disrupt the flow of the rest of the conversation sorry um i mean do you want to have a little do, do you want to do that now or do we want to sort of talk some more about the, the rest of the map okay well let's sorry, put, let, let's put that down as one uh one little scene that we might want to play out ahead of uh ahead of your uh ahead of your operation yeah. so we're going to uh put a wiretap on Solano, okay. 
Brilliant. I think, I think Frank. I think Frank would immediately worry about bent coppers in the holding him in the cells. We can't, we can't necessarily trust all the policemen who are guarding him. Can we? Kill him in his cell. That's happened before. So I think he'd want to sort of try and work out what whether there are any iffy policemen in the you know holding him in charge of holding him in the cells. Or are we doing that? Are we doing that? Uh, typical, typical feds. This isn't it. Casting aspersion on yeah, your local yeah, police. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as a federal officer, a federal officer, you're saying this, this local police. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> seen it before. Seen it before. Can't tell you the number of times I've seen it before. You know. <laughs> so, so you're suggesting that um, one of you guys should be. Uh, Making sure that Nick, nobody gets to Nick during the night. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think Frank would would offer himself up for that for that role because the only one he, the only person he can trust is himself, really. I th- I, th- I think I think Fred would probably want to as well, just because they're they're the feds. They got to have a hand in yeah. all the times. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. guys are going to play cards through the night. But I'm going to well, get. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm, I'm, not, not, I'm not gambling. Be <laughs> reading my Bible. I want to request my Tommy gun. Yeah, not doing any of that. Um, I think maybe we should uh, take a look at see see what Solano's uh, or oh, Lucinetti's um, uh, lieutenants are doing. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. Okay. Because they're the one who's going to be. Um, they're the ones who are going to be full of, uh, um, uh, um, carrying out his orders. And does this does Sal have uh, contacts in the underworld? Did we say? Have I got my character sheet? All I got is yeah, I'm still connected in the neighbourhood. Well, get your ear to the ground, man. So yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking of going to Tolino's family restaurant. Um, just He's have a good pasta. Yeah, get over a, a plate of clams. Um, <laughs> what else is there? Um, don't know about this Santini Brothers Export Company. Um, I think also that we should be, um, what's he called? Uh, get some heaters, uh, some Tommy guns yeah. uh, on the day. Plus, someone was wondering maybe could we do a fake, do a fake um, entry? Get somebody with a blanket over his head to pretend to be uh, Nick and deliver them at the front of the um, or the courthouse while we, in reality coming from the back and go through the jail and then over the bridge. That's what going to be great if the local boys in blue created that diversion and then the feds could deliver the package. Maybe be the hero, the... save the day. <laughs> that bridge route is kind of obvious. So maybe we should have some somebody down stationed in the uh, alleyway, alleyway underneath just in case uh, uh, somebody decides to take a few pot shots up at it. How, how secure is that bridge? I'm assuming that's how prisoners are normally taken across from the jail to the yeah. courthouse. So in terms of uh, getting some intelligence on what uh, the lieutenants, the captains, uh, uh, the movements, Toledo, as you know that uh, Al Toledo is a rival gang leader, uh, runs a lot of the business around uh, Lakefront City. So he has no, uh, he has no love of Stefano Lucinetti. So that might be a good thing to go to see Toledo and hear what's happening with his rivals because he might have some intelligence. But 
Well, you might want to get uh, deep into uh, Lucinetti's uh, operation. So what are we doing? Are we all kind of splitting up and doing our own own bit at this stage? Or yeah, because we're not going to go mob handed to each. Oh, or we could be kind of like do the psychological thing, and all the people go into their own little groups. I.e., the police detectives stay together and the feds stay together because my my character hasn't got that much love for the uh, feds who are taking all the glory at the moment. So uh, we can't help it if we do our jobs. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's uh, let's see what's happening. Uh, let's start off with the um, uh, going down into uh, the cells and the uh, precinct. So it's kind of it's, there's more um, cops around than uh, normal, and he's being kept fairly comfortable in the cells in the basement. Uh, Nick Zabata, and he's a weedy little guy, comb over. Um, scar across his uh, nose and a uh, little uh, checked jumper and a, a tie. I, I can't wait to get this over, guys. And he's got he's kind of itching. Uh, hey, have you got any more food? I'm feeling kind of hungry. Uh, meat, some some meat, some some cold meats. That, that I, I kind of like that. I like that when I'm anxious. So you two uh, are down there, you two feds. Well, shall we? Um, what do what do you think? Do you want? Do we send all the other cops away? Me and you just guard this guy. I, I, I think we. I think we take over. Take over the guard duty, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we, we, we'll keep watch on the prisoner. Send send some of the cops to get him a sandwich or something. A strami sandwich. Okay, so you were uh, you, you clear uh, with the desk sergeant uh, that. Nobody else is going to be in this uh, basement cell uh, area. It is just like a bars and um, a desk uh, for you to uh, sit at. There's a couple of uh, chairs, and he's uh, it, they've got they made it quite comfortable for him. He's got a tablecloth and a little uh, rose at his request. You know they're trying to keep him uh, sweet um, because uh, it's his big day tomorrow. Are they gonna are they gonna post some post some guards outside? Presumably have somebody outside of this area, so we're we're with them. But well, you can give them instructions because uh, you've got jurisdiction here. So all right, oh, I like jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I suppose we can't we can't get rid of all the police. <laughs> no, no, we can we? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> Don't trust any of them. Well, yeah, maybe two outside the outside the jail cell section, and yeah. we'll we'll go in there. Yeah. Um, I'm presu- I'm presuming since we've we've come down from DC that we we've, we've come armed, so we we've been able to bring get a hold of some Tommy guns or a Tommy gun. I'm hoping you, know, you can put in a request uh, for that. Oh, how long do those requests take? <laughs> well, let's. Uh... Let's see. Let's see. Frank, frankly, I'll tell you that I love paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're going. You're going to have to put in a, a request to uh, to Jack North himself uh, for, for this. So you make a submission. You know that he's sometimes reluctant for the uh, heavy artillery to be on the street. Doesn't look good uh, to the locals. You know. Fight fire with fire, but within reason. Uh, right. So you're going to have to put a submission into uh, 
Jack Northey wants to keep this uh, low low key. What's your presence? Uh, Fred's is six, I believe. Six, yeah. Okay, so uh, Jack's is uh, ten. So, yeah. Uh, minus four on on this. So you need to roll two d tens, and we'll look at the reaction table. That's two d ten. Yeah. Oh, whoops! I've got to do it on the. I was going to do it on dice tray. Two d ten. And uh, add them together, and then minus four. Oh, well, that's not good, is it? Eight minus four is four. <laughs> is four. Oh, so he's going to become abusive. Abusive, hostile, hostile attacks. He attacks. He turns on you and turns up. What do you take me for? You're professionals. <laughs> professionals don't use those kind of things. It's that kind of thing that gives us a bad reputation in this town. We've got to show them. We've got to show them that we are respectable professionals and we're not going to put any civilians at risk. You know, if we put those guns onto the streets, that it just invites them to bring more. They'll, they'll bring hand cannons. No. The answer is no. No Tommy guns. <laughs> Was that hostile enough? Yeah. <laughs> are you going to provoke him? No. No, good. Because <laughs> according to I, thought, Taylor, I thought that was the late the late front way. You know, they bring a handgun, you bring a Tommy gun. Got a reputation to keep. Okay, so you, you you've not you, your request for uh, uh, heavy artillery is rejected, uh, <laughs> but uh, you have got a pasta army sandwich delivered. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, so in a baguette. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, what kind of weapons have sandwich. they got at the... Check, at the... I'll, I'll check the sandwich, check it, make sure there's no knives in there or anything. Oh, right, okay. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing to my food? Is it normal for you to put your paws all over my food? <laughs> Shut up, Zabata. <laughs> Presume there's nothing in it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, I really... thinking it might be poisoned. I really want you to be served to Jabata. Yeah, just just need to check your chapatas about her. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let let's uh, cut over now to the approach that um, Joseph and uh, Sal are going to make to try and find some intelligence of uh, what the movement is. So, what were, were you heading for, Toledo's or? Yeah, I was thinking of go and get some food over some plate of spaghetti um, at Toledo's family restaurant uh, and see if we can have a chat with somebody. I don't know where else is there. There's the deli, but Belma's restaurant in Delhi, I'm not too sure. Do we know of, um, sorry, what was his name? Do we know of Stefano Ruccinetti's uh, kind of his establishments, what he has? Well, let's um, let's uh, do a bit of police work, shall we? Here, so um, let's see what uh, what uh, your research might uh, bring. Have you got anything that uh, could be uh, relevant to try and find out where they would hang around? You, 
Uh, is that book? Is that bookmaking? Is that is that the accountancy? Yeah, accountancy. That's 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 how they got uh, Capone in the end, didn't they? Well, there's a book. Yeah, book, book bookmaking is, is a bookie. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. actually uh, is gambling. Well, oh, it's Acc- the gambling. Accountancy yeah. is uh, is keeping books, which yeah. yeah, I've got that. Yeah. So so Sal, you could have taken a different path. You know, you, you from an early age, you were uh, uh, running books on. Uh, Various activities within the, uh, the the neighborhood, but uh, let's have a see what you've what you've got. Um, let's uh, let's use the default then. Look, both of you do a look roll, and let's yeah. see if it turns up something um, something in your in your, your questioning. Yeah, my rock's forty nine. So if we're going under, I've done it. Okay. Well, good luck with this then. Wow, only missed it by oh. four. Oh. You're not very lucky. You've got the look of the Irish, even though you've no. got the, everything else, haven't you? I've got the hair. It just, I mean, the thing is, they toned down their hair, I would have had the luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, you know, you, your connections, uh, uh, Sal, in the uh, in the neighbourhood, you know that uh, the Luciani Syndicate, um, it, it has uh, it's mainly um warehouse holdings which um which are being surveilled john and others have been surveilling them um so it's meant that's the main uh, operations but they have got uh, gambling places in uh, town and mainly uh, on the street they're probably better known for uh, shaking down uh, politicians you, you know that uh, Big Bill Johnson, the mayor's on his uh, payroll. So in the in the town, he doesn't have any um, speakeasies. Um, he tends to uh, deliver um, and supply. So Toledo will probably have an interest in receiving uh, liquor from him. So that might be a good place to go to the restaurant because he might, you know, the... Um, the captains in uh, Toledo's gang might be willing to shed some light on on what's going on with Stefano's operation. Mm. So, what's your approach? Are you going in as civilians or as cops? Because they'll know me, Chris, though, because I've been there. All, all, you know, I'm a local local <laughs> policeman there, so they would know me. But I think, out of respect, I think I would just turn up in a suit. You know what I mean? Just um, not not in uniform. Yeah. Um, so what what you, 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 Joseph, you you going in uniform as well? Oh no, I should go in uniform if you're not going in uniform because it just screws you up. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> shall we just do it under the pretense of uh, just shall we do it under the pretense? Of, uh, I'm going to show you how to a proper play the spaghetti. Now let's go to Tolino's and then under under the guise of uh, showing you some food and then having a chat. Okay, so it's um, it, it's. A nice homely place, red and white checkered uh, tablecloths, and wine bottles with the candles in, a big, big pot of gravy bubbling away in the back. Really strong smell of uh, garlic. It's like being at home. It's like like the food your mum uh, makes at home, uh, Sal. Um, and uh, the, the bell rings, and uh, it instantly taken care of and uh, shown to the usual table, Sal. And, uh, this yeah, thing. sure. 
or yeah, let's uh, yeah, I brought my friend from from the precinct. Yeah, I'll have a bowl of um, uh, spaghetti with some clams since we're on the front. And one for my friend here as well. Um, so I wait for the food to be delivered or served, should I say, um, and then start maybe talk, doing some small talk about the about Stefano. And find out a bit more about Lucinetti. Yeah, yeah, for Stefano yeah. Lucinetti. Yeah. yeah, what what is it they want to know, Sal? You only come in here when you want some uh, knowledge. Some we wear your ears, we your eyes. You know, we give you the spaghetti, but you always want a little more, don't you? you want a little <laughs> oregano? Yeah, what, what, is it, what is it they want to know? Uh, where his where his boys are, um, what they're up to, um, and you know, we want to know if they're keeping an eye on uh, the guest at the uh, at the uh, precinct. Our special guest. Let's uh, let's use the NPC reaction table. So he's going to, he's going to be quite positive uh, towards you. So uh, he's uh, he's friendly. So uh, what's your presence? Yeah, presence is seven, and his presence is nine. So it's minus two again. Obviously, um, you're world weary, and you've probably beaten down the all of you. So. You no longer feel that kind of courage of your convictions that you once had, uh, but let's see. Uh, let's see what happens on the NPC reaction table as you roll two d tens, and you're minus two from this. Ooh, nice. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, uh, there are some senators making big noise in the city. I'm sure that the uh, the press will have a field day. Not going to touch him, are they? Not going to touch. Uh, Stefano's operation is too good for that he's too smart for that he's not going to let some low down politician already uh, getting uh, that senator's probably getting tenderloin delivered uh, by his back door and he'll I expect tomorrow he'll step down but I, I know nothing of what what they're doing on the ground I, I, I keep away from those guys no interest you don't think they're going to try to get a hit on him um, stop, stop him talking yeah. yeah. Oh, even put, put uh, even put put the frighteners on him. Maybe yeah. we should pay him a visit ourselves, or maybe we should just keep an eye out, see uh, where that leads. It sounds very reasonable. You do what you want to do. That sounds perfectly you, okay. I think. Well, where is where is Lucinetti going to be? Where is Stefano Lucinetti going to be at this moment in time? Where is he likely to be? He doesn't give me his day book. I'm sorry to uh, <laughs> upset you like that, but I don't know. Down by the docks, probably up and I don't upstate. But what I do know is that Senate is going to get nowhere. And as for bumping things off and uh, taking things, he that's too that's too low. That's too low. He's too smart for that. But something else, something spectacular. I tell you, that senator will be bought off by the morning. Probably getting yeah. wired a load of money right now. We're in the wrong yeah. game. You're sat here eating spaghetti. We should be in the politics business. That. That's where the real money is. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Hey, how's that Zambioni? Is that going to be really good dessert? That's Yeah. I yeah. love a Zambioni. Come on in. You can party like a politician. Yeah. We'll call it a business meeting. He <laughs> uh, kind of doling out some more desserts. Okay, let's, uh, while you're talking into the uh, dessert, let's... Uh, See what's happening over at the docks where a wiretap, single-handed wiretap is going to be uh, in, in, installed here. 
I see. Um, I, I didn't realize there were no other prohibition agents, but I guess that's the case. All right, so I'm off to the docks. Okay. So I guess I'll get on some overalls or something and uh, go down an unmarked Ford Model T van or something. Yeah, there's a big ship in at the docks, stevedores and dockers um, working, emptying it. You know, it, there's kind of a light drizzle in the air, dim and dark, uh, but you can identify uh, the office where the base of operations for uh, for his outfit is here, the uh, Lucinetti's syndicate. So you're going to try and uh, get into Solano's office, the old office of Nick, yeah? What, well, what, what, I assume, can, can I find like a telegraph pole or something for, for some phone lo- phone lines outside and sort of hook up the wiretap outside? Yeah, that sounds uh, perfectly uh, reasonable. Okay, do you have an appropriate skill in uh, stealth? Let's have a quick look. I have wiretapping, I know that. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, let's see. Nope, no stealth skill. That's fine because you're doing this in broad daylight with your uh, outfit on. All I'll say is that let's see how lucky you are at passing off as a... Uh, Telegraph uh, uh, control operator, and I, I, don't, I guess my presence is only used for interaction roles, right? I can't use it to sort of help support my performance or anything. Um, no, it's just for those. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's not nice, uh, nice application of the rule, and uh, <laughs> it, 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 that sounds good. But I, it, I think it's just going to be a luck role. All right, and I'll I'll use um and I'll keep my eye out as I do this, but otherwise, so look roll is what D hundred D hundred yeah. Let's just see, and my look is twenty two, so okay thirty seven out of luck. Okay, so um as you as you're doing that um you do realize that um you, you're gonna you can choose to front this out, but you realize that. You do get the attention of a few people who are kind of looking, uh, looking up at you, uh, looking at a telegraph pole and about to uh, mount it with your your ladder. There's a couple of people watching, watching this. So uh, as you do, as you do this, might be they might just be uh, spectators who are interested um, telephone operators and uh, maintenance of telegraph poles. It's not my best idea ever, is it? So I'll climb up the telegraph pole, okay? Um, I'll uh, pretend to take some kind of reading, sort of, you know, test the lines, whatever, and um, give it two minutes, nod my head, climb back down then, and sort of pack up and move on. Okay. I'll try again later. (laughs) So you're not going to apply the wiretap while you're up there? Um, and again, all I know is the phrase wiretap. I know literally nothing about it. So what, do I have to be hooked into the wire to actually hear it yeah, and, well, and listen? Or if you're, up, if you're up there, you might as well have a go at doing it. And you? you might as well. Oh, oh, you only oh, draw right. attention. You can, you know, you what can... can go wrong, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Let's try that then. So do I roll my skill? Or... Yeah, yeah, roll okay. the skill. So you just need to roll under okay. your wiretap skill. Let's see if you hook it up. You. You know, you're drawing attention, but I could say it might just be spectators. So I got a 31, and my skill is, I believe, 77. Let me just confirm that. Why tapping 79? Let's say that the the transmitter (laughs) is actually over in the the cell room with with the two feds, and it bursts to life (laughs) in front of you. (laughs) 
there's a connection and uh, somebody's making an order of uh cold meats um, <laughs> over, over the phone, yeah, to be delivered because a big containment ship has arrived and they've got to do the deliveries you know and um, so they're using all kinds of uh, code work code words like um the magic carpets are going to be laid tonight um around the city okay so you're picking up that uh, that kind of thing okay so we've got a bit of a uh, bit of intelligence uh, about what's happening from in the restaurant we've got uh, the two guys on guard and you're starting to listen to solano so solano seems like a, a a, a creepy character who's uh, overtaken the operation that Nick and Nick's hearing this. That's him. That's Solano. That son. Of, that son of a snake. He's, ah, I can. I recognise his can voice. We not, can we not get some headphones? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I mean, if he starts talking about killing, killing, put him, put him right off his pastrami sandwich, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> some headphones if we can. You can hear, you can hear that there's uh, this guy. This guy is uh, utter nihilist. You know, he's he, he's philosophising to uh, people who are on the other other side there. This guy called Johnny Levine, who's he's up there on uh, Jack North's uh, board, and uh, you know he, he's saying, you know, it's a world of dogs. The place, it's an evil place. Everybody gets the comeuppance again eventually, and that 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 Nick Zabada Zabada's going to get it. He's going to get it good. We've got it ready. We've got a four man band. Yeah, they're going to be going to be at the courthouse tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. They're going to be tooled up. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> heavy. I'm going in heavy. I'm going in heavy. That stool, that you can hear And if our feds aren't going four, straight to their boss to get the um to, to get the machine guns, then I don't know yeah, what, yeah. what to make of them. Frank, Frank, do you want to make the call this time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think with this evidence, we, we're going to need the machine guns, aren't we? Maybe not for tonight, but certainly tomorrow when we. So yeah, I'll I'll take that evidence to Jack and uh, try and persuade him that we do we do need. To, and I, you know I know what Fred's like; he's a little bit trigger happy, but uh, you can trust me with these things. <laughs> Are you going to have your Bible in your hand? Yeah, I've always got it in my hand in my pocket. Oh, yeah. Find yeah. find a good passage yeah. to to read them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I quote some scripture at him about Paul's letter to the Corinthians about Tommy guns. That one. <laughs> What's your presence? Um, I think it is six. Yeah, six. It's hard to face, though, isn't it? You know, Jack, it's, it's minus minus four on the NPC reaction table. You need to roll uh, two D10s. Two D10s. Okay. Ooh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did he do worse than he shoots me? me. <laughs> violent, violent and hostile. <laughs> he shoots me. Turns the Tommy gun on me. Yeah. And here is you, Jack, looking for the mob all along. I think you should have left the Bible verse out. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. never go say mob. 
Your New Testament has no no bearing on me. You insult me. Get out of here before I throw the book at you. And he and he picks it up and <laughs> throws it. Dodge out of the way. You're not going to ruin my big day with the heavy artillery. I've told you. I've told you. I've told. I told Fred the same. And you All go right. away. All right, Jack. Jack, I've I've always looked up to you, Jack. Okay. Nah, Close look, the door behind you. Now. And uh, as you close the door, because you can hear the thud of a book hitting the back. <laughs> okay, I think uh, you've done enough uh, legwork to get an idea of uh, what's happening. Let's uh, move into real time, but let's just have five minutes so I can get a cup of tea. Mm. Uh, yeah. My, my cat there. needs to get fed as well, and she has very loud opinions about it. So I'll, oh, be, uh, okay. I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Back in five. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. There isn't another bit. The rest of the actual play will be on the Patreon feed and locked away in the Grog Locker, the secret area of resources for the Grog Squad. Raw and unedited, you can discover if Nick Zabata had his day in court. The One Shot Club has been on a brief hiatus, mainly because we've run out of Sundays. I'm sure that there's less in a month than there used to be. We have a couple of game groups on a Sunday night, so it's squeezed out some of the possibilities. However, the One Shot Club is back, 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 and better than ever. Rather than planning them for a fixed night, they'll now be promoted on a ad hoc basis on Patreon and the Discord channel. If you're interested, you can put your name forward for the lottery. In addition, we're going to invite some of the GMs that contribute to Grogmeat to run games for pickup tables. Again, we'll promote this on the Patreon newsletter and the Discord server. If you'd like to have access to the Discord server, then please drop me a note at dirtthedice at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Grognard file. It's reasonably active, but not overwhelming, and you'll see the progress of some of the projects as well as a healthy debates about RPG topics associated with the GrogPod and beyond. It's also a source of great recommendations of stuff to watch, read and listen from a trusted source, the Grog Squad. Thank you for listening to this so far. Thanks to to our patrons, past and present, for encouraging us by paying the overheads and helping to create and support new projects. We have some new patrons to thank too. At the fancy poof level, Jimmy Crawford. Thank you, Jimmy. At the so far so good level, I'd like to roll on a random table and award a virtual gift from the game under discussion. This time, I've reached to wise guys and will roll on the mob speak table. I've learned some new ones from this. So here goes. First, it's Sid Razavi. He gets a hot place. That's a place under surveillance. Thanks, Sid. Next is Craig Pay. Oh, he's got a spell in the mercy room. The emergency room. That's a new one on me. Next is Al Livingstone. Oh, he gets the juice, which is interest on a loan. Caston Smith. Oh, he's giving a gift. Bribing a juror. Thank you. Bumping the contribution to the contour rug level is, is Ralph Plowman. He gets a free pass, which means he ain't going to get whacked this time. Ken McLennan. He gets a bunch of crackers. $1,000. Thanks to everyone. 
I hope you enjoyed this podcast more than I did putting it together. I had an editing nightmare. I was a real mama look. Forced quitting before making a save. Sheesh. If you didn't like it, well, don't worry. There's another one about Pendragon coming back soon with Dave Larkins and Blythe. Until then, adios, amigos. (laughs) 